Blog Talk Radio. with the Via Vili and that's um next we're gonna do start the lesson. This is John MacArthur with music the expression of a worshiping heart here on Tributory. The following sermon is by John MacArthur, pastor, author and Bible teacher with Grace to You. If you've never connected to Grace to You, we want to send you a free book by John called None Other Discovering the God of the Bible. This detailed look at God's character can strengthen your trust in the Lord and deepen your love for Him. Request your free book by writing to noneother at gty.org. That's noneother at gty.org. The offer is good in North America and Europe through December 2019. And now, unleashing God's truth one verse at a time, here's Grace to You Bible teacher John MacArthur.
Well, there's uh, one thing very evident about that video. We are all getting old. It's about the close-ups. Whose idea was that? You know, the, the whole, basically, evangelical church is being handed over to junior high people, isn't it? I mean, musically, uh, young people, and here we are with this geriatric music department that... It's, uh, it is, it's astonishing to think about it. I mean, going way back, you saw one picture that had Mary Jane Duncan in it, and she started as church pianist here, and I think probably maybe 53 years later, the Lord took her to heaven, but she played the piano for us over half a century. Um, Clayton's been here 40. Steve at the organ, 30, 42. Steve came before you did. 42 years. <clears throat> And uh, Mark Rice, 35 years, and Sharon, 40 years. Um, it's, it's an astonishing thing the Lord has done to keep us all together. Uh, the good news is we've all been together. The bad news is we're all going at the same time. <laughs> but we've got Bill. How wonderful is that? Uh, it's a privilege, obviously, personally, to have known and loved Clayton. I first met him in Eugene, Oregon, when he came from Detroit to uh, be minister of music at my dad's church, First Baptist Church of Eugene. We knew from the very beginning that he was remarkable, that he was unusual. Actually, his, um, his national music profile began about at the age of 15, I think, and he began to play piano on network television for Percy Crawford's Percy Crawford's evangelistic ministry out of New York, and they had a national program on one of the networks that was broadcast across the country and gospel preaching, and as a 15-year-old, he was playing piano, and then it was organ, and the Lord brought him from Detroit here, and uh, we're so grateful for all of that. There's going to be more about that tonight. We'll have a little interview, and I'll try to explain why he always has to drive a red sports car. That might be of curiosity to some of you. But there are no words to express the gratitude of my heart that the Lord has given us and given to me such, such a partner in ministry uh, because I'm such a strong believer that the, the music must be consistent with the preaching. And if the preaching is going to be deep and clear and God-honoring and Christ-exalting and elevated in its doctrinal clarity, the music needs to carry that same commitment, and certainly ours has here for all these many years. And uh, again, this is not a retirement for Clayton. We're going to have him around going forward, and we're grateful for all the years the Lord gives him to us. Thinking about music, because that's kind of on our minds today, just a few thoughts from the Word of God. We have been saved for the ultimate goal of worship. That, that is our ultimate goal. We uh, enjoy, while we're here on earth, other divine purposes, namely to proclaim the gospel to an unbelieving world, to preach the gospel to every creature, fulfill the Great Commission. But once uh, that is finished and this human history is wrapped up at the return of Jesus Christ and after His kingdom when the new heavens and the new earth are created, 
and all the saints and angels are gathered into eternal glory, we will there in eternal glory basically fulfill the purpose of our redemption, and that will be to worship the Lord. Every glimpse of heaven you have in the Scripture, when you see the throne of God gathered around that throne, whether it's angels or angels and saints collectively, they're always doing the same thing. Uh, Whether you see them in the 5th chapter of Revelation or the 14th chapter of Revelation or the 15th chapter of Revelation, whenever you get a glimpse of heaven, it's always filled with praise. All the creatures who are there, whether they're angelic creatures or the redeemed saints, the church triumphant, are all engaged in the same great, glorious, transcendent purpose, and that is praise and worship to the triune God. We will spend forever doing that. Whatever the highest moment of your worship experience might be, when your soul has sung at its highest and best, when your heart has literally exploded with gratitude and joy to the Lord, multiply that by infinity and you'll have the sense of what worship in heaven will be like for you. It will be the most exhilarating, fulfilling, satisfying, joyful moment that never ends as you will forever praise your Lord. This is why we have been saved in John 4. Jesus says the Father seeks true worshipers to worship Him in spirit and in truth. We are by definition those true worshipers. And we worship in spirit, that is with our whole being and our emotion. But we also worship in truth. We worship offering God praise from the heart with all of our human powers and even our glorified human powers, but always in consistency with truth. 1 Peter 2 says, we are in fact a holy priesthood offering up to God spiritual sacrifices through Jesus Christ. When you think of yourself as a believer, think of yourself as a worshiper of God, as a part of a holy priesthood, and our responsibility is to offer up spiritual sacrifices to God. And the writer of Hebrews says, those sacrifices are praise The sacrifice of praise from our lips is the high point of our spiritual sacrifice. Philippians 3, Paul says, We worship God in the Spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Again, we are worshipers of God. We are worshipers of Christ. This is who we are. I want to draw you to a text to begin Uh, this morning, Romans chapter 12, very familiar verse. Uh, You will perhaps know it by memory. Romans 12, 1. After the glorious benediction in chapter 11, which is a paean of praise to God, Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who became His counselor, Or who has first given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. This is a call to praise. This is consistent with why we have been redeemed. This is our priority. And so, therefore, in chapter 12, verse 1, I urge you, brethren, 
by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Because of the mercies of God that have been bestowed upon you, you are to express your worship by giving your whole self as a living, holy sacrifice acceptable to God. Again, that is your reasonable act of worship. Your spiritual service of worship is to give yourself to God fully and wholly as a priest offering up sacrifices to God through Christ. Now, what were the mercies of God? He says the motive for this, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God. What do you mean by that? Well, all that God has given us, He has given us by mercy. We deserve none of His good gifts, so they are all, by definition, among His mercies. But if you were to read the opening 11 chapters of the book of Romans, you would know that the mercies of God are the following. These are the things God has given us that we do not deserve, could not earn. Love, grace, peace, the Holy Spirit, saving faith, hope, comfort, power, patience, kindness, righteousness, forgiveness, reconciliation, justification, sanctification, security, joy, freedom, sonship, union with Christ, resurrection, eternal life, and everlasting glory. Those are the mercies of God that Paul delineates in the 11 chapters that come before chapter 12. And in reviewing that, Paul says, based upon this magnanimous, astonishing generosity by which God has given you as an undeserving sinner, all these mercies, what should be your response? Your response is a spiritual service of worship, and that worship is offering first your whole self as a living and holy sacrifice. It's reminiscent of Psalm 116.12 where the psalmist asks the worshipers question. And here is that question. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? How do I respond to the greatness of God's mercy to me? The worshiper's ultimate question to his own soul what shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? The answer, you render to Him your spiritual worship. And what is that? It is to give your whole self as an offering of praise. You do that as an individual believer. That's how we live our lives. Daily offering ourselves to God like a spiritual sacrifice. Paul borrows sacrificial language and says, I die daily. It's as if he crawls up on the altar for a self-sacrifice every single day as he offers himself to the one who has poured out such everlasting mercy on him. That's individual. Collectively, when we come together, we add to that personal sacrifice a corporate sacrifice of praise, a corporate offering of praise. And the writer of Hebrews speaks to this in the 10th chapter of Hebrews. This is a familiar portion of Scripture. Just uh, starting in verse 22 of Hebrews 10, let us draw near, it's plural, let us, now he's talking to a congregation, let us draw near with a sincere heart and full assurance of faith, 
having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. And that's, that's borrowing an Old Testament idea that you ascend the holy hill as a worshiper with clean hands and a pure heart. You come to the Lord as a congregation, having purged your own heart and your own hands. Then in verse 23, let us together hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for He who promised is faithful. We come to the Lord, cleansed heart, cleansed hands. We come with a confession that our hope is in the Lord and in Him alone, and that we believe He is, he is faithful to His promise. And then when we come together, I love this, verse 24, we consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. How do we do that? Verse 25 says, by encouraging one another. How do we do that? How do we come together to stimulate one another to love and good deeds and encourage one another? Because that is exactly what we are told to do. The answer comes in a couple of familiar verses. Colossians 3, listen to verse 16. Let the Word of Christ richly dwell in you. Okay, you start with taking in the Word. You can't really worship the Lord if you don't know Him. The more you know of the Word, the more you know Him, because the Word of God is the revelation of God. So as the Word of Christ richly resides within you, it provides all wisdom. As a result of that, immediately, Paul writes, teaching and admonishing one another. Well, that's what we're supposed to do. Hebrews 10 says we're to stimulate one another to love and good works. How do we do that? We do that by teaching and admonishing. How do we do that? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. I don't know if you've ever thought about it that way, but congregational singing is simply all of us stimulating one another to love and good works. It is collectively all of us coming together to teach and admonish each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's the, that's the power of music in worship. Ephesians chapter 5, as we'll see in a moment, says simply the same thing. It says, be filled with the Spirit, and as a result, you will speak to yourselves in psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, sing and make melody in your heart to the Lord. Being filled with the Spirit is the same as having the Word dwell in you richly. You're dominated by the truth of the Word of God, and the Spirit of God, of course, takes the Word of God and fills your life with His presence and power. But why music? Why does music play such a big role in our worship? Because essentially it's the only thing we do together that collectively makes sense. We don't all pray individual prayers out loud. That kind of a cacophony wouldn't help anybody. We don't all meditate out loud. You may be thinking about the Lord. You may be meditating on truth. You keep that into your own heart. You don't mumble so the people around you could hear that. Our meditations are in the heart, the meditations of our heart, as the Old Testament calls them, because for all of us to meditate out loud would be chaos. There's only one thing that we can do out loud to stimulate one another to love and good works, and that's to sing, because we're all singing the same song, and most of us are singing the same tune, <laughs> with some exceptions. 
music has found a priority place in worship because it is the only thing we all do together to stimulate each other. We all sing. We all lift our voices. We all speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs and make melody in our hearts to the Lord. And if this is to be worship that honors God, then the words we sing must contain the truth because we are to worship in truth. So we must be singing sound, accurate, biblical revelation. And if it is to honor God, even the melodies of our hearts have to be those kinds of melodies that suit lofty expressions of divine truth. The words carry the truth. The melodies carry our emotions as we contemplate that truth. To express our worship by this means requires the highest and the best of all musical quality. Music, if it's going to carry divine truth on its wings, should be beautiful, should be excellent. It should be skillfully played. It, it should be the very noblest of all possible expressions of music. You can't offer God exalting Christ-honoring praise, pouring out divine truth, consistent with the glories of doctrine in a cheap or superficial tune. It deserves the best. If our knowledge of the Lord in His glory is rich and full, lofty and awe-inspiring, so should our music be. And the music offered to God as a spiritual sacrifice of praise needs to avoid the world. It needs to reflect heaven. That means it demonstrates beauty, order, majesty, quality, that it has a, a design that shows some of the order of God's nature, but some of the rich complexity of beauty. It should be intelligent, systematic, sequential, poetic, harmonic, rhythmic, Salvation demands the most beautiful music. We have for 40 years been able to experience that because of what the Lord has done for us through Clayton Herb. His music has undergirded the preaching of this pulpit for four decades. And it has brought consistency to our worship in truth and in spirit. There are some popular misconceptions about the role music plays. Maybe I can just comment on those. Music, let's just say, is not worship. Some would make us think that worship and music are synonymous. Music is not worship. It is a means to express worship. Worship is praising God for His character and His works and His promises, and His faithfulness. That's worship. From the heart, worship is the heart glorifying and honoring God. Music is just a vehicle. And as I said, 
It's, it's one of many vehicles personally, but collectively it is the dominant way in which we express that corporate praise. Another misconception is that music somehow induces worship. Music can induce all kinds of feelings, but music doesn't induce worship. The heart worships. The mind worships. Based on what you know to be true by the revelation of God in His Word and your own experience of His work in your life. Music does not create worship. Truth and love and adoration from the heart create worship. Another misconception is somehow that music sets some kind of mood for worship by its certain style. We're not trying to take music and create a mood. There's no such thing as a mood for worship. Because you can only worship as far as your heart will allow you. And your mind will allow you because of your understanding of truth and devotion to it. Again, music is not mood music for us. It is a vehicle to capture our thoughts and our convictions and our beliefs and things that are true about God and lift them beyond ourselves. We get to borrow lyrics. We don't borrow praise, but we borrow lyrics. We get to sing beautiful melodies and hear beautiful melodies. We, we, don't, we don't borrow adoration, but we get to borrow a tune to express that adoration. And one final thing. Music is designed in the church for one purpose, and that is to glorify God. It is not designed by any means to make visiting non-believers think they're at a rock concert. It's not designed for them. People say, well, if we don't change our music, unbelievers will be bored. Well, of course, it's not for them. This is for us, intermediately, to be able to express glory to God. That's what a worship service is. A worship service isn't some kind of emotionally induced experience that is equal for believers and non-believers. That's not worship. Worship is when believers, because of what's in their heart, in the knowledge of the truth, are given an opportunity to express that in beautiful tunes and beautiful lyrics collectively and all of it is offered to God. All of it is offered to God. If I don't get anything across other than that, that would be sufficient for you to understand why we sing and why we play music. Just listen to some familiar words that I will quote for you from the Psalms. There are many more, but here's a selection. Psalm 33, 1. Sing for joy in the Lord, O you righteous ones. Praise is becoming to the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Sing praises to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully with a shout of joy. For the word of the Lord is upright and all His work is done in faithfulness.
you're singing, you're praising the Lord. Your praise is always directed to Him. In chapter 40 of the psalm, Psalm 40, a similar beginning, I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He brought me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock, making my footsteps firm. That's like salvation. He put a new song in my mouth. And what is that new song? A song of praise to our God. And yes, many will see and fear and will trust in the Lord. It does have an evangelistic impact to see a praising people. Psalm 96.1 says, Sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 98.1, O sing to the Lord a new song. Psalm 147, It is good to sing praises to our God. Psalm 149, Sing to the Lord a new song. Isaiah 42.10, Sing to the Lord a new song. Throughout the whole of the Psalms, the word new is used more often with the word song than any other substantive. Our music is not like the old songs. It is new. And it is always directed to the Lord. Second Chronicles 29, if you will turn to it for a moment, I want to give you this beautiful picture of worship that came when Hezekiah restored the temple worship. He assembled everybody together. They went to the house of the Lord and they made sacrifices and This was a revival under Hezekiah. And if you come down to verse 25 of 2 Chronicles 29, he then stationed the Levites in the house of the Lord with cymbals, with harps, and with lyres, another kind of stringed instrument, according to the command of David and of Gad the king's seer and of Nathan the prophet. For the command was from the Lord through his prophets. They're doing what God had commanded them to to do. God had commanded them to worship Him with music. So they followed that command. The Levites, verse 26, stood with the musical instruments of David and the priests with the trumpets. Then Hezekiah gave the order to offer the burnt offering on the altar. When the burnt offering began, the song to the Lord also began with the trumpets accompanied by the instruments of David, king of Israel. While the whole assembly worshipped, the singers also sang and the trumpets sounded. All this continued until the burnt offering was finished. Now at the completion of the burnt offering, the king and all who were present with him bowed down and worshipped. Moreover, King Hezekiah and the officials ordered the Levites to sing praises to the Lord with the words of David and Asaph, who had written many of the Psalms, as you know. They sang praises with joy and bowed down and worshipped. I mean, the picture there is of God-ordained worship. It is designed to sing to the Lord, to sing to the Lord. And yet in the New Testament it says, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, making melody to the Lord. The intermediate reality of our music is that we are stimulating one another toward love and good works by the recitation of these profound realities concerning our God, and it then rises above us to the ultimate end, which is to God glorify, to, to glorify God with our worship. People of God had been given by God a prescription for a main line music in their worship. In the temple, for example, First Chronicles 23, um, there were 38,000 people serving in the temple. 
4,000 of them were in the music department. 4,000. Miriam, you remember back in Exodus 15, led a woman's chorus. The prophets in 1 Samuel 10 had a men's chorus, a chorus of prophets with instruments. The congregations sung praise in the Old Testament, and according to 1 Chronicles 13 and 15, they sung loudly as the Lord likes it, loudly. David made a choir for the tabernacle. Solomon had a temple choir of 4,000 people. Zerubbabel had a temple choir of 200 in these Zerubbabel temple when the main temple had been destroyed and another temple, the second temple, was built. One of the parts of that building, although it was much more modest than the original temple, was to have a choir and a choir loft. The revival of the Word of God in Nehemiah's day when the people came back from captivity featured antiphonal loud singing. They had instruments all throughout their worship, stringed instruments, drums, woodwinds, trumpets. And one of the most wonderful things to think about is Ezekiel 40 describes for us a temple that's going to be built in the future when the Lord comes back and sets up His millennial kingdom on earth. There's going to be a temple. And in that temple, dimensions are given for the choir loft, and it's large enough to hold 4,000 people. Now look, how many times do you read in the Psalms, it is a good thing to sing praise to the Lord? The Lord wants to hear your song from your heart, collectively with the people of God rising into His presence. In the New Testament, the Lord and the disciples finished up the um, Passover meal and it says after they had sung a hymn, they went into the garden. Paul and Silas are found in jail in the book of Acts chapter 16. And what are they doing? What are they doing in their stocks? They're singing hymns. 1 Corinthians 14 says, sing with your spirit and sing with your mind. That's like spirit and truth. And again, when you go to heaven in Revelation 5, 14, 15, you, you, you just hear nothing but songs of praise offered to God. This is our calling. Now, turn to one other passage, and I'll just make a few comments. Ephesians 5, verse 18. Do not get drunk with wine, for that is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit. That's a strange contrast. Don't be drunk, be Spirit-filled. Why, why does he make that kind of contrast? Because in ancient religion, drunkenness was a means, uh, they believed, to communication with the deities. They actually believed that as you became more and more inebriated and more and more out of touch with your normal senses, you were somehow in that state of inebriation uh, being elevated into the divine sphere and you would commune with the deities. And if you wanted even more profound communion, you would go lay with a temple prostitute and you would engage in a sexual orgy to excesses of immorality and that too would enhance your communion with the deities. As you would obviously know from all of that, uh, they were not righteous deities. They were unrighteous deities because they were all fabrications of hell and fabrications of sinful people. That's how religion worked in the ancient world. You, you got drunk and you got involved in immorality and you could throw in gluttony. They even had in some of their temples places where you could vomit and go back and eat again. It was the rankest of base orgies. And our Lord is saying, look, 
You, you, you're not going to connect with the Lord doing that. You be filled with His Spirit. Let His Spirit fill your life. You don't want to be filled with alcohol. You don't want to be filled with immorality. You don't want to be led by any of those worldly things. You want to be filled by the Spirit of God, filled by the Word of Christ dwelling in you richly. And when the Spirit of God takes over, as the Word of God dominates your heart, verse 19, the result is speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks for all things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to God, even the Father. What's going to happen is when your spirit filled or the Word dwells in you richly, your worship is going to rise toward God. Again, everything, whether you're talking about the Old Testament or the New Testament, shows us that worship is directed Godward. It's certainly not ultimately directed to make us happy, although it is pleasing and becoming and joyful. It comes to us and through us to glorify God. What a gift music is. By it, God Himself has ordained that we glorify Him. And in the process of singing music and playing music that glorifies Him, we also stimulate one another to love and good works so that we actually wind up speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, as well as singing and making melody with your heart to the Lord. It starts in the heart, and then it comes out, and it's ministry to one another. Speaking. La leo, that's onomatopoetic. The word to speak is la leo. La, 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 la. It actually is translated in some cases the, the chirping of a bird. We make music. A happy heart makes music because that's where our gratitude, our thankfulness, and our joy takes us. So we, we speak la, la, la to one another in Psalms. Psalms um, basically means uh, a song played on a stringed instrument. Hymns, humnas, a song of praise, five times used in the Greek Old Testament referring to the songs of salvation. So we, we sing psalms, which are hymns of praise to God. We sing hymns, which generally uh, we could say are salvation songs that look at what God has done for us. And the spiritual songs are songs of testimony, like we sung this morning, It Is Well With My Soul. That's a spiritual song of testimony. I would assume that you would understand that most people sitting in Christian churches across our country are far away from the richness of what this experience is for us every single Sunday. This, this is a gift that is really beyond comprehension. God has so graced us. In reading Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan's wonderful look at the Christian life, you will remember that Christian gets into conflict all the time. Every new day brings a new level of conflict, and he enters conflict and he exits it, um, God giving him a means to do that. And every time he exits some harmful situation, it always says the very same thing. 
50 times in Pilgrim's Progress. It says this, He went on his way singing. He went on his way singing. That's what spirit-filled believers do. They sing. They sing in their hearts. And then when they get together, they sing to one another, and collectively as they sing to one another, it rises to God as a sacrifice of praise. Now, when we all get to heaven, uh, there'll be no monotones. There'll be no hymnals because you will have memorized all the hymns that heaven will tolerate. They will be part of your mind and you will sing forever. But there's going to be a special soloist in heaven. There will be a special soloist in heaven. And he's going to sing a solo. And I would like you to meet him. He's introduced to us in Zephaniah 3, 17. The Lord your God, this is looking at heaven, the Lord your God is in your midst. The Mighty One will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will greet you with His love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Who's that? God Himself. In fact, by the way, God is singing even now. God Himself is singing because His heart is full of joy over your salvation. And one day when we all come to heaven and we all join the angelic host and the triumphant church and we're all singing and singing and singing for just a moment occasionally, we may stop so the Lord can do another solo and rejoice over us. What grace is that? That we should be in the presence of a God who sings His gratitude for us. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your truth. Thank You for music. Thank You for the music here, this remarkable church. We thank You that You have given us Clayton and all those who have been part of our music team for so many, many decades. What a gift, incalculable to us and to the world, really, as the ministry of music here has extended across the earth. Thank you for enriching our lives with this ability to praise you in the loftiest way, to collectively speak to each other in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs so as to stimulate one another to love and good works. And not only that, but more importantly than that, collectively to bring into Your presence praise that is fitting for You. We come together for one reason. Even listening to Your Word, even hearing the Word preached is to inform us so that we know cl more clearly the truth, more extensively the truth, more sharply and precisely the truth to inform our endless worship. 
Thank you even this morning for giving us this privilege. We trust that what we have offered you by way of songs of praise has been pleasing to you. That's our prayer. Amen. You've been listening to John MacArthur, Bible teacher with Grace to You. For free access to all of John's lessons and a listing of study Bibles and books available for sale, visit Grace to You's website at gty.org. And for details about the Masters University, where John serves as Chancellor, go to masters.edu. John MacArthur and Grace to You reserve all copyright protection under applicable law. Our copyright policy is available at gty.org, and it includes instructions for and limitations on duplicating this digital file.
the not-so-simple anatomy. This is Ken Ham on a mission to strengthen the global church with God's Word. Evolutionists believe so-called early animals were simple. Now, one example is the tube anatomy. It seems to live a simple, predictable life, so they assumed it was a simple creature until they mapped its mitochondrial DNA. This so-called simple anatomy now holds the record for the biggest mitochondrial DNA. They have four times more base pairs than we do. Its DNA is also linear instead of in a circular ring, like most other creatures. Evolutionists were really confused by this creature. Because they start with the wrong starting point, evolutionists reach wrong conclusions. There are no simple early animals. All life was created. Subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you go to our website at AnswersRadio.com. You'll be equipped and encouraged at AnswersRadio.com.
Foundationally, this is Ken Ham heading up the apologetics ministry that's built a 510-foot-long Noah's Ark. We need generations of Christians who know how to think foundationally. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, we need Christians who recognize that God's Word is true and is our absolute authority. We need believers who base their thinking on God's Word in all areas. You see, the Bible isn't just a book of spiritual things. It's the inerrant, inspired, infallible Word of our Creator. The Bible tells us that God cannot lie and that Scripture is breathed out by God. So we can trust everything it says. And it must provide the foundation for our thinking. Sadly, many Christians base their thinking on our secular culture. Plan your visit to the full-size Noah's Ark in northern Kentucky when you go to AnswersRadio.com and discover more about the truth of God's Word at AnswersRadio.com. Peter and 
Babies? This is Ken Ham, CEO of Answers in Genesis, the Creation Museum, and Ark Encounter. Okay, who would have thought we'd be asking a question like, can men have babies? But our secular culture pushes the idea that women can be men, and therefore men have babies. Some hospitals are even dropping the name maternity wards, and they're calling expecting mothers pregnant people. This is biological insanity. It's obvious only a woman can have a baby. So why do some people claim men can? Because they've rejected the biblical truth that we're created male and female. Instead, they believe gender is on a spectrum and that anyone can be anything they want. But God's word's true, and therefore it's true we're created male and female. There's more to learn when you visit our faith-affirming website at AnswersRadio.com and plan your visit to the Creation Museum and Ark Encounter at AnswersRadio.com.
death and the gospel. This is Ken Ham, and we produce the family-friendly Answers Bible Curriculum. Did you know that in many ways, Halloween is a celebration of death? But at the same time, death doesn't have to be scary. You see, God originally created a perfect creation. But according to Genesis chapter 3, sin changed everything. Because of sin, we die. But Jesus Christ stepped into history as the God-man. He took the death we deserved for us on the cross. Then he rose from the grave, conquering death. He now offers the free gift of eternal life to all who will put their faith and trust in him. For those who've trusted in Christ, death isn't something to be feared. That's because Christ defeated death. When we die, we join him forever. Discover more about God's Word and the Gospel at AnswersRadio.com and subscribe to receive free daily email insights from Ken Ham when you go to AnswersRadio.com.
Euthanasia for children? This is Ken Ham with a passion for defending and sharing God's word with the world. We truly live in a culture of death. Here in America, 60 million children have lost their lives to legalized abortion. 60 million. But that's not the only war on children. In many nations, we're seeing efforts to legalize euthanasia for children. This means terminally ill children could choose to end their own lives with the help of a doctor. What's happened to make this event thinkable? Well, our culture has rejected God's word as the foundation. If God's word isn't our basis for truth, then human life doesn't have intrinsic value and murder is a gray area. Starting with God's word, we're made in his image and murder's wrong. Get equipped to speak up for life when you visit our website at AnswersRadio.com and listen to this program again or view a complete transcript when you visit AnswersRadio.com.
should we pay our pastors specifically with more than just our prayers and encouragement? We're talking about money here. Let's see what the Bible says. 1 Corinthians 9, do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple? That's Old Testament style. And those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar. So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Uh, This is a hurdle that almost all of us need to jump over. Should a pastor get a paycheck Of course he should. He should be able to eat like the ox is able to eat from his work. And if he sells books, if he asks for money or support, it is not necessarily because he is being greedy. It's because he's got to eat too. And the Bible gives him permission. Our second verse of many. First Timothy, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor. Ooh, some get paid more than others, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing, and the laborer is worthy of his wages. There are many more verses that make it clear it is not a sin, it is not filthy lucre that the pastor is after. He simply has bills to pay. Now, if he's greedy, if he's covetous, that's another issue. But it is not necessarily to want to be able to, you know, feed your children. Here's what a dead guy said. The Orthodox thus maintain the minister not only can but also ought to live by the ministry. And so this is not a is it okay sort of question. No, 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 no. This this is actually a command. We need to be paying our ministers some implications for your consideration. Number one, can a pastor be well prepared to bring the message on Sunday mornings if he has to work all week to provide for his family? Good question. Number two, if a pastor has an obligation to be on a job site, how can he quickly respond to emergencies in his flock? Number three, there may be a time where a pastor has to forego pay and work like Paul did, but it should be the exception not the rule. And finally, pastors should not receive a wage that causes stress in his family. Survey says most pastors feel financial strain at home because they're not getting paid enough at church. Your pastor has enough pressure on him. He does not need financial worries weighing down on him because the body is being cheap. Should we Pay our pastors? Big question. Short answer. A pastor should be allowed to earn a living as a preacher of the gospel. Can you please like, subscribe, or share this video so other people can enjoy this professional Christian content? That was big question, short answer. Should we pay pastors? That's from Wretched. Uh, that's their YouTube page, W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D, Wretched. They have a website, wretched.org, and it has radio show and TV show. So check that out.
W-R-E-T-C-H-E-D dot O-R-G, Wretched Dollar. And you know, me, Melissa Cantrell, we have a website, truthbetoldradio.com, truthbetoldradio.com. Check ours out. And mine is smilesandstuff.com, S-M-I-L-E-S-A-N-D-S-T-U-F-F dot C-M, smilesandstuff.com. Has my um, testimony, how I became a Christian. And let's see. Next, going to do a song from Shyland. This is called Supreme. Let me start this off with a hallelujah to Jesus, the sovereign ruler. This is not a rumor. Got the truth, so we about to screw you. Check out a style maneuver. Shout it to you like the loudest group of Christ. Put us up from out the sewer. We don't have to doubt the future. Crashing our verses as we bask in his worship. You asking the purpose, partly to fetch cash from the furnace. To Jesus' extravagant service, immaculate purchase. He was smashing the serpent, and we only scratching the surface. He's the seed that was conceived in the womb of a virgin. The sun emerges in the manger while the angels serenade him. It's the birth of the Savior, the greater ambient. Came a man, came as a lamb, and would be executed to execute the plan to substitute the sand. In the place of the wicked on the cross, he was lifted, but we considered him stricken and afflicted, just like the prophets predicted. He came at the proper moment to stop his opponent and lay down his life to offer atonement. He's the most magnificent, the total antithesis of insufficient, the blessed, the glorious, splendid, transcendent, difficult to comprehend, independent of space and time, but presently present, suspending the heavens with speech. From coast to coast, he speaks peace to wind and seas, got heavenly hosts easily posted on bended knees, controls the cosmos with the most authority, so we both in a most exalted King Christ Supreme. He's the sovereign thriller, the awesome healer, the law fulfiller, the solemn killer, the fraud revealer, no God is realer, yeah. When you're taking your time in the scripture, what you get is a prominent picture. See his light shining bright in the night, and his bright in the might, and a dominant mixture. See his name at all the renown, though. When he came for the loss that he found, though, he was tamed and floss all around, but remained for the manger, the cross, or the crown. Yo, Satan had a strict hold on him, fight for the rope, but dope, and then, all to the eyes of the S to the E to the end, that's what we hoping in. Risen on his spell check, the risen king can rinse clean the most rebellious. I was hell bound, now I'm spellbound. Word is born. I'm a bond servant to the word of life. Uh, call me a sellout. I was bought with a price. We gotta hope it won't fail us when we return to the dust. We will rise up just like the one who justified us. It's not wishful thinking when the truth sinking. We are clinging to the promises of God bringing an everlasting kingdom. Nothing can compare to the worth of what we inherited. Nothing in heaven on earth can measure what Christ merited. The skies declare the affairs of his glorious care. The God who is there, who's aware, who delights in our prayer. His purposes are permanent and perfectly prepared. Fortunate, everything that orbits around his glory subordinate. He is the most excellent one, intrinsic, infinite son, preeminent the name, par excellence, prenom, phenomenon. He's beyond phenomenon, you see, the father of cosmology, the abba of astronomy. He's part of we, a pottery. It's shocking Jesus died for me. The father, he adopted me and constantly provides for me. Whether or not I got degrees, you gotta see his odyssey from sovereignty and lottery to poverty and robbery to resurrected bodily apocalyptic prophecy. He's stopping all the mockery and scholarly snobbery that don't Acknowledge him properly. You ought to be on bended knee before the preeminent. It's awfully arrogant to reject him to your detriment. Study the development from Old to New Testament. You'll find a theme that's prevalent from age to age. It's relevant. Crisis on its center stage. Forget religious sentiments that center on man. But something less is what you're settling. He is the most excellent. Exercising benevolence and blessing a remnant with the benefits of his inheritance. Yeah. The sin of sinners that separated and segregated. That severed the relations between man and his maker. And placed Christ on his car. Costly cross and compensated his life, death, and resurrection, emancipated and gave us freedom.
freedom from it all, freedom from the effects of the fall, freedom from Adam and Eve in the garden of Eden and from the law. So the saints stand and applaud his grace and glorious cause with hands raised, praising his name, singing glory to God. <laughs>
writing this to you I really hope you hear my heart When thinking about describing you I really don't know where to start Can't start at the beginning Cause you are before the beginning Way before the beginning And this fallen world's distorted opinions It was just the holy trinity Ruling from infinity Glory blazed tremendously Loving one another endlessly Billions and billions of years ago Outside of what we know as time Nobody else was there to know But Lord, here's the thing that blows my mind As long ago as that was Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change Forever you reign, you remain the same You will never change, you will never change Immutable, beautiful You never change, never change I was thinking just the other day How you reign supreme by far Not just because of what you do But simply because of who you are like you in existence, you are God and you need no assistance, even though we show you resistance, you sent Jesus to close the distance that existed between God and man, according to your sovereign plan, we changed many times in one lifespan, I've changed even since this song began, Lord I'm so glad that you're not like us, all that you do will certainly last, you are the rock that we can trust, shows us back in eternity past, as long ago as that was, as long ago as that was, you have not changed Lord. As long ago, as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful. You never change, never change. Forever you reign, you remain the About my ups and downs, all of my inconsistencies, all of my idiosyncrasies. Still, you pursue relentlessly. At times, I wonder how this can be. Surely, it's because of the cross. When Jesus paid the full penalty and bore the burden of sin's great cost. I'm saved by grace and faith in God. I look to Christ and I trust He died. So, even though I'm being sanctified, I can't be any more justified. His work is finished, that cannot change. And with this knowledge, I am free. Forever, this grace, it will remain because of what happened on Calvary. As long ago as that was. Long ago as that was, you have not changed, Lord. Oh, Lord, Lord, Lord. As long ago, as long ago, as long ago as that was, you're still the same. You have not changed. What can that mean? But my God is immutable. Immutable, you are beautiful. You never change, you remain the same. Immutable, beautiful. 
Christian music artist now? I'm just a Christian everything. Uh-huh. Thank you for saving me, for replenishing me, for delivering me. I read the Bible. For real. Yeah. Seriously. You sit and read the Bible. Yeah. Now that God has called me and I've, I now have given my life to Jesus Christ and I work for God. Now I get to work for God and he about to show out. Kanye West works for God. This is called, is Kanye West really a Christian from Living Waters, their YouTube page. Here we go. What are your thoughts on Kanye West? Kanye West, uh, hey, he's a good artist. He pumps out some good music. I really honestly don't know too much about him, but running for president. I mean, I probably don't agree with everything he does. I feel like we all got a little Kanye West in us. I have pros and cons. Tell me some cons about Kanye West. I mean, everybody's entitled to their own opinion, and Kanye probably pushes the envelope across whether it's politics or his music, but um, I agree with, like, his will for innovation. Did you relate to the average person? Yeah, if you talk to him. He's making the news because of his music. I like his music, but not necessarily lately. He claims to become a Christian. What are your thoughts on that? You know, that's that's Kanye's business. Um, You know, if you believe in God, then they, you know, more power to you. I think he's trying to get, like... Followers trying to make himself seem like better. Perhaps this is a publicity stunt. Publicity stunt? Uh, I don't know that I'd go so much as to call it a stunt, just because I think it gives it kind of a negative connotation. But uh, yeah, man, absolutely. Look, I mean, why wouldn't you try to get publicity, right? You think it's genuine? No, no. It's all—it's all publicity stunt. All publicity stunt. Here's his big word that he's throwing around. It's kind of introducing people to. It's a word called repentance. He's saying that he repented. He's changed his ways. What are your thoughts? Have you ever heard that word, repentance? Repentance. I, I am familiar with the word. Okay. What does is, what is that word refer Repentance? Uh, you know, it's probably looking back on maybe mistakes that you've made. Repentance is one of the most positive words in the Christian vocabulary. It refers to turning from a destructive path and moving instead into God's plan for your life. Any idea what that word repentance means? I mean, I've heard people say repent, repent, and I'm just assuming he's trying to, like, uh, steer people away from things that they shouldn't be doing in the terms of religion. To forsake sin is to leave it without any reserved thought of going back to it again. Repentance. It's the vomit of the soul. MacArthur said that your repentance needs to be as loud as your sin. Yeah, repentance. It's just like repenting his sins, all the things that he, he wants the Lord to forgive him. So what exactly is it? It's a change of mind about your sin and who God is. It's an exchange for an irresistible sin, for an irresistible Christ. It's turning from the sins that you love to a God that you are commanded to love. It's a turning from your sin and it's a turning towards God in faith. That's repentance. Not everybody's going to make it across the gate. It's a very specific But since we're here for the interview, let me talk about the idea of sin and repenting. Christ isn't asking us to clean our lives up. He's commanding us to lay our lives down. There's a difference, a world of difference. It's not an invitation. It's a declaration. You must repent. In fact, he says, unless you repent, you will perish. We don't make Jesus Lord. He is Lord. He's commanding you to recognize him for who he really is. He 
sits on his throne. He is the King of kings, and he is the Lord of lords. When people have their own relationship with Christ, a lot of times, I got my own relationship with Jesus. It's because they know they are dealing with sins that they don't want to have to repent for. The difference is once you're delivered, everything that you do is in service of Christ. And anything that you realize wasn't in service of Christ, you will repent for. A person who truly repents and trusts Christ alone for their salvation is a Christian. Scripture says, if any man's in Christ, he's a new creation. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Sin forsaken is one of the best evidences of sin forgiven. So, did Kanye West repent? I don't know. But I know that justification comes before sanctification. And I know that he's being discipled by a really great guy with some really good theology. I need to repent more. I'm sure there's things where I look at this interview and say, was that self-serving or was that in service to Christ? Spurgeon said there could be no peace between you and Christ while there's still peace between you and your sin. You and your sin must separate or you and your God will never come together. What do you think happens after we die? Mm. Wow. <laughs> um, I would say that I, I believe that we do go up to heaven. I've done a lot more good than bad. I've, I've helped change people's lives. Do you consider yourself to be a good person in God's eyes? I hope so. Have you ever heard of the Ten Commandments? I heard of it, but I couldn't tell you. The Ninth Commandment says, uh, you shall not bear false witness. Have you ever told a lie, or how many lies do you think you've told over the course of your life? Sure. I can't count. How many things do you think you've stolen over the course of your life? Not many. I stopped stealing when I was younger. Like a kid, like fourth grade, fifth grade. Fourth, fifth grade. You started young. <laughs> Too young. Jesus said, if you look with lust or sexual desire, you've committed adultery in your heart. I Meaning God not only sees the people you're with, but the people you want to be with. Have you ever looked at a woman with lust? Oh, absolutely. Am I colored? <laughs> yeah. yeah, absolutely, though. Okay. Uh, yeah, that's the same. Does it concern you at all if God were to judge you by the commandments, though, that he would send you to hell, his prison, because he's holy and you're not? I mean, when you say it like that. <laughs> um, Do you have any idea what God did so you wouldn't have to go to hell? This is Kanye's message that he's sharing. Uh, I believe he died on the cross. God requires you to repent trust in Jesus. And if you do that, if you surrender your life, then you're given a free gift, which is everlasting life. It's not just, I'm going to turn from my sins and not go to hell, but God's offering life. You fellowship with the God who created seafood and surfing and sunsets and sex, right? This is the God that uh, Kanye is talking about. you, Kanye, honestly. I know we know the topic, but it's just how you make life, man. You know, if you, if you feel like you're a good person and, you know, you're giving back and you're helping people out constantly because that's why I feel like we're on this earth, yeah. to help each other and, of course, to praise the God. What if you're guilty, though? What, what, is, what is it God is the judge of the universe? What, what if you're guilty of breaking his law? Does God turn a blind eye to that? Does he not care? Say, hey, my good always my bad. I've only murdered one person. No, absolutely not. But I believe that's why... Um, we say repent yeah. because they, he, he will forgive you though you have broken God's law the Ten Commandments and because we've broken God's commandments broken his law 
we cannot go to heaven because God is holy, He's perfect, and He's just. I'm, I'm saying this is what the Bible says. Right? This, is, this, is where, this is what changed Kanye. This is the message that hit That if, if we confess our sins, hey, I blew it. I messed up. And not only that, but I need to surrender my life. I'm going to count the cost. I'm going to repent. Yeah, we talked about that. It's a change of mind. And it's agreement with God that He's right, I'm wrong. He alone is wise. He alone is just and holy and perfect. That it doesn't matter if my good always my bad. The fact is, I'm guilty. And if I turn from my by turning towards Him, and I trust Him the way I would a parachute, I'm going to be given a free gift, which is everlasting life. And the reason I know that Christ would forgive me is because Jesus rose again from the dead, and He defeated the grave. What about you? Have you repented? I'm not asking if you feel sorry for your sin. Of course you should feel sorry for your sin. You've done wrong. Have you repented? Have you changed your mind about who you are in relationship to who God is? God does not dismiss his wrath against sinners by the wave of a magical wand. Salvation is a free gift, but it costs the son's life. So either Jesus Christ is your substitute, who suffered in himself the wrath of the Father, and in so doing, he satisfied the demands of the law. Or you've got to do it yourself. In God's prison, his punishment for you is a place called hell. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day to prepare for your last day. Death is going to come knocking at an inopportune time for every one of us. Cemeteries are filled with young people. Youth is no guarantee of old age. You think that's a pretty important message that Kanye is sharing for other people? Absolutely. I mean, people definitely need to hear it because we don't hear it enough. And, you know, you got a lot of people who just might listen to that certain genre of music, and he's uh, preaching that, so he needs more of that. What are you going to do with this one named Jesus Christ? Repent and believe the gospel. Trust Christ alone. Kanye, in his hit song, Selah, he said, To whom the Son is set free is free indeed. He saved a wretch like me. Christianity does not teach sinless perfection. You will struggle till the day you die. I'm not talking about being sinless, but you will find yourself sinning less. It's a complete surrender to Christ. Is Kanye a true Christian? I don't know. But I know that God can save anyone, including Kanye and including you. Listen, you must repent. Once again, is called Is Kanye Ray Christian and from Living Waters. She got Living Waters on their YouTube page and then also their website, livingwaters.com. L I V I N G W A T E R S dot C O. Livingwaters.com. And now, what I'm do is I'm going to play a song from. This is from Shiden, this is Random Thoughts 3. Yeah, Soli Deo Gloria. <laughs> it's like deja vu, right? I'm back, but nobody was asking where I've been Cause Christ in the music is no longer the hot trend Logic says, well maybe I should just stop then But I never got into this for a spot in the top ten I do this for one reason Jesus the true king, son To help God's elect obey Hebrews 3.1 And though the rap world is ever crowded 
about it If heaven allows it, I'll keep writing for the 7,000 I know you out there, I still get the emails Against the church of Christ, the gates of hell will never prevail It's founded on the rock, and the gospel never stops So we dropping the topic, whether it's popular or not Sin is not just toxic, and the clock is going to stop God is not to be boxed with the wrath of God is burning hot We were locked in sin's closet, our conflict was cosmic God plotted to stop it, hit the demonic with a shot I was copping narcotics, agnostic with a plot No optic for the knowledge of the God who often not Jesus rocked me with the gospel and it tied me up in knots So I hopped in a rocket and met the prophet at the top, yo That's just another way of saying I met God in the scriptures But we just gonna let that breathe for a second, you know what I mean? The Bible says he was been forgiven much, loves much We gonna talk about BC a little bit My depravity was total, not small like pops I was chained to sin, I couldn't take off the locks I thought I was a player, a match with the flavor So y'all know what the time is, but I ain't bet Isaiah I would chuckle daily as I paid for disgrace My eyes were always puffy like I got sprayed with mace I would toot my horn at parties, and I would do bars Got so intoxicated, I was ready to do Mars Notorious for acting pretty silly in my city Philly Friends hear about it and be like, whoa, did he really? Because I played dirty Bill Lambeer style Through great mercy, spirit-filled and dear child Went from so gritty to headed to a gold city In Christ I shine, the world's light no biggie, whatever time to sing, I'm putting faith on the song 112, displayed in John, the way to respond When his patience runs out, then it's time for the ride, man Microwave, wrath of God, fam That's why, because of Christ, I got mad joy All I'm saying is I used to be a bad boy <laughs> But nowadays, I'm regenerated Born again from above, fam, how else can I say it? Went from various vices to a kid that's married to Christ Using literary devices, the spit is very precise My conversion to the master was so dramatic I just wanted to be an ambassador or fanatic The gospel was my tonic With Christ I couldn't lose But to walk with God like Enoch I knew I couldn't cruise This walk is a beast But nothing's greater than the cross Saw the mark of the east And the raiders of the laws While power records were choosing to carry G-Unit I was on that revolutionary theme music The brothers from the Lou held it down as well But we noticed a big shift in 2012 Around the time Jackie asked me about Calvinism Christian hip-hop found a different algorithm And crossed over without taking the cross Sober, made us all sober Years later, is it all over? Trip asked me if I was still motivated I was quiet, but I wanted to say No, I hate it Cause brothers in your camp Causing lots of confusion I love them as brothers in Christ But not their conclusions They want to reach the world By all means, keep pursuing it But tell me, why they gotta diss the church While they doing it? That's what I wanted to say But I ain't say it though But no more laying low I want them to play it slow And I ain't dissing them My prayers are the proof Like Boaz without Ruth Is unity without truth it's like gorillas in the mist With no brotherly love It's like Philly don't exist What's happening here? It's a different atmosphere Cats appear most concerned about a rap career Brothers overseas being slain in the sand While we're vain in our plan Taking fame in some fans And I ain't got time to philosophize Satan got a plot device I'm seeing lots of guys apostatize On top of all that Donald Trump's the president It's all good though Cause Jesus Trump's the president So more than ever I'm trying to rep the Lord who bled And we ain't never gonna stop Word to Corey I'm just trying to give a healthy demonstration A theocentric music for the selfie generation See the problem is sin, no riddle in it Cause all sin got I in the middle of it We're mad to praise and truly evil We need to be born again Without a Matt Damon movie sequel In the gospel God addresses our depravity The lamb slain at Calvary The depths of his agony He rose from the grave with abundant grace And when we come in faith He'll bring us up from the sunken place Our sins decrepit depths left the mess No rest was left till Jesus but death to death, the beauty of the victory truly is a mystery. The cross of Jesus Christ is at the nucleus of history. Before the cross, they were saved on credit. After the cross, we've been saved on.
love it. Since our champion in the great war suffered, we gon' proclaim his death like the Lord suffer. So welcome to the Still Jesus Project, yo, we just getting started and we got a lot left. Once again, that's Shannon with Random Thoughts 3. You can find out more about Shannon at netmo.com. He's recordable, L-A-M-P-M-O-D.com. And then this, that's all I got for a show. We're about with Yancey and Friends in the V-I-V-L-E. Bye for now.